Good evening and welcome to another ELB podcast, the podcast about rugby. I am your host, Phil. Tonight I'm joined once again by the usual um, usual suspects here on the pod, Andrew and Ant. Andrew, firstly to you, how are you doing? How's everything in Joburg? I'm doing well, thanks. It stopped raining, which is really nice. Um, now I moved to Joburg two years ago and I was promised summers with warm days and afternoon thunderstorms and it's basically been cape town winter for the last 10 days up here so <laughs> glad to get some sunshine today uh yeah otherwise doing well end of year rubbish at work but uh the rugby keeps coming so it keeps us keeps us sustained do birds have an end of year <laughs> the bird the bird people do <laughs> it's all about the migration season ant i'm sure <laughs> um and that's the usual voice of ant that you that you just heard. Ant, how are you doing? We had some Cape Town rain this evening. I don't know if you... Yeah, I was about to say, I don't know what that was all about. I mean, I do, because it's been raining in summer for the last five years, but it still irritates me every time it happens. Yeah, and um, we've had, obviously, a very busy weekend of rugby. Lots of things happening, and I think we'll just dive straight in. Um, I think one of the biggest achievements or, or one of the biggest... Um, moments of the weekend was the final of the Women's Rugby World Cup, where it was a cracker of a game, and New Zealand, the women's team, I think they're called the... Black Ferns. Black Ferns, I was going to say that, yes. Um, They, they, I think, surprised, like, they were the underdogs, just about, and they managed to overcome the odds to beat the the England team, which were the favourites, and lost their record-breaking streak. Um, Andrea, I know you managed to catch up on the highlights what were your main takeaways yeah i mean firstly i was sad not to catch the game live i had a presentation on on saturday morning of all things um so sad i didn't see my goal abt run out but did manage to catch the extended highlights and uh, read around a few reviews it was probably the game of the weekend to be honest um even with all the international men's action happening um yeah really cracking game um incredibly strong teams uh very dynamic rugby lots of uh forward play the rolling mall uh came into effect i think for three or four different tries across the two different teams um you know not not normally a facet of of women's rugby that plays such a dominant role but um i think undoubtedly the two best teams in the tournament and they produced a firework display of notes um I'm sad uh, not to be able to see that women's hacker anymore. I've raved about it every time we've come on the pod during the World Cup. Um, I think they, they outdo the men, I'm convinced now. Um, yeah, fantastic game, two brilliant teams, and well done to New Zealand. It was great to see the hosts take a win. It's always a, a good vibe for the tournament um, and for the crowd and the atmosphere. Um, great game to watch as a neutral, and yeah, hopefully this does... Uh, what we hope for for women's rugby worldwide and inspires uh, growth across the board, not just obviously within those two teams and within uh, the women playing rugby or, or learning to play rugby in those two nations, but but across the world and, and South Africa needs to take note. Um, that's what professional setups can produce. Yeah, and um, Ant, I think maybe just before we started, you had mentioned as one of your win- winners women's rugby in general, so. I'm glad you got to watch the match. Um, you enjoyed it. I know you mentioned some of the stylistic differences, but uh, I think sometimes that makes it more enjoyable that it's not just a, you know, 
diluted version maybe of what we're used to, but it's just something different. Well, I think that's a really good way to summarize it. Um, I think we need to understand and just accept that when you're watching women's rugby, you're not watching necessarily the same sport as men's rugby. Um, I think fundamentally just the, the power dynamics are different. You know, I mean, men can kick past, run faster, further. So the space on the same size field is less for men. So it, you know, it kind of forces you to be a bit more tactical and you can keep longer and do different things with your defense. Whereas women's rugby, they have a lot more freedom because they don't have this type of, this, this, this field is effectively bigger for them. Um, and it creates a much more free-flowing dynamic game, as you say. And I think maybe the depowering of the like the rucks and the collisions and stuff as well also allows people um, to play a lot more freely. You know, and they can throw more risky passes and things like that because they're not as worried about being rocked over the breakdown. Um, so it, it, it fundamentally feels like quite a different game, just as much as you know, sevens versus fifteens is a different game. Um, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed that aspect of it. As you say, you know, it's still got those hallmarks of rugby and you know, a dominating forward pack wins you matches as the English uh, almost pulled off um, until until you know set piece failure at the end cost them. Um, you know, so it's still got those same hallmarks, but it's it does have a very different dynamic and feel to it. And I think it's just it feels a lot less testosterone and macho a lot of the time as well. Like it just seems it just seems to be having a lot more fun in the field. Uh, which is also just it's enjoyable to watch just again like sevens play you know they, it seems you know the competition is there and it's fierce but they're enjoying themselves in, at the same time yeah and i think um my winner from this match i don't know who was the official player of the match but um i really enjoyed watching stacy flula she is the 13 for the new zealand team like in that very first match, the New Zealand-Australia match, she was really, really good in that match and scored a really nice try. And then the moment of the match for me in this one was where she had the offload off the ground towards the end to set up that uh, that sort of match-winning try. Um, of course, England also got a red card quite early in the match. Um, I think it was about the 20th minute or so. Um, and you and I, when we discussed it, we both felt that that was the right decision and also a brave call from the ref being able to give a red card that early in a final. So I think well officiated, well played, and like you said, smiles on faces and even, I think, a relatively humble uh, and gracious in defeat, The obviously the team who lost and heartbroken, but gracious. So that was really good to see. And I think, like you say, Andrew, hopefully this is going to carry on building into the future and um, yeah, lead to bigger and better things for women's rugby in general. Yeah, I mean, Stacey Flula, great, great shout out. Um, you know, they call her the Smiling Assassin, and that's such a great name. You see, there was a great picture going around of her uh, swan diving for her own try. Um, you mentioned the one she set up with that brilliant skill off the ground, uh, but she also scored her own one, and she was just like diving mid-air with this massive smile on her face. Um, yeah, she had a great tournament and a really good final. I think the I might be wrong. I think the the official player of the match was the, the fly half for New Zealand. Um, that, that's ringing a bell for me. Uh, who was also good throughout the tournament. Uh, yeah, as you say, that that red card call was pretty straightforward. I thought, um, what else can you do? Like straight head on head contact and, and poor Portia Whitman, who is now a nominee for for Women's Player of the Year. Um, obviously a sevens legend and now a fifteens legend as well. Uh, being forced off in the World Cup final wasn't great for her, but I think the right call, the right call was made. Yeah, yeah, and um, moving on, I think to maybe to 
slightly less, um, I don't know, fanfare in some of the other games. So I think, yeah, Andrew, let's go to you and look at uh, maybe one of your winners from the weekend and some someone or something that stood out for you. All right. Um, yeah, for me, I thought um, Italy against Oz was a huge, a huge fixture. Um, and, and one of the winners from that who is also nominated for, for Breakthrough Player of the Year is Ange, uh, Ange or Anger uh, Caporzo. Um, Angie, I think. But, yeah. Angie, Angie. Um, I don't really know how to pronounce his name, but he's a fantastic player to watch. And, and one of these guys like like Cheslin Colby that's showing you know the world that that anyone can play rugby, whether you whether you look like Franz Malherbe or you look like Angie Capuazzo. Um, that's basically your spectrum, I guess. Uh, he he was really good, scored a really nice try. Um, and overall, I think Italy are looming large this coming weekend for the Springboks based on their performances so far. Um, they're playing really, really good rugby, and, and they're not a they're not a given anymore in terms of a, an easy win on a Northern Hemisphere tour. Um, so yeah, Italy, Italy, and I thought Capuzzo in particular um, winners for me. Yeah, he's um, obviously nominated. Is he? Not? He's nominated. Um, yes, for yeah. re- uh, Player of the Year. So breakthrough, breakthrough Player of the Year, of course. Um, together with Dan Sheehan, Mac Hansen, and the last one and you got this list henry al arundel on all uh, of, of course 28 was, it's a rugby yes i was forgetting him because of his exclusion so yeah i mean he's got a pretty good chance cap so i mean of winning that based on um you know he obviously scored that amazing try against wales and the six nations and continuing his form throughout uh the irish duo i think both have a decent chance um and I know you're not going to say Arundel, but who, who who would you like to see win that one? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think Caputo has definitely had the biggest impact on his team out of that list. I mean, I think, yeah, we can all exclude Arundel simply because he just hasn't played any rugby. It's ridiculous that he's even on the list when you've got guys like Gertley Aronson, for example, that have played, you know, most of the games and scored many tries and stuff. Um but, you know, I think all three of those have been consistently good. I think Mac Hansen, you know, has been a very solid player for Ireland. Maybe not as flashy as Caputo. Um, similarly for Sheehan. But, yeah, I mean, I think it would be nice just, just for Caputo for the vibe. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think in, if it was a People's Choice Award, I think Caputo would be, at least outside of England and Ireland, he'd be an easy easy win. Um, but uh, yeah, sticking with that um, Italy-Australia match, Ant, I know you wanted to pick up on one of the losers from it. Yeah, I mean, it's I think it can be a potentially quite long list of losers in that game. Um, yeah, I think probably the biggest loser just has to be Dave Rennie in the way that he's managed this team up until now. Like, he's had the team for a long time and he's been given a very long grace um period to, to you know to be consistently in the saddle with a very poor win record um but i think the issue of just consistently uh the same errors just keep coming through um, you know, the discipline in that team is atrocious their penalty count is ridiculous their respect of the ruck is really poor 
and they seem to get it right for like five minutes at a time and then they just completely lose it again. Um, but I think the most like kind of glaring outstanding er- like error from this test is they're six behind, five minutes on the clock. You know, they know that to win the game, they need to score a converted try. So what do you do? You bring off your fly half that's been kicking perfectly all night to bring on a rookie that's never played a test match before. But, you know, it's a massively risky call to make. Um, and essentially it's just going to lose-lose because either he kicks the winning penalty to beat a team that they meant or win, you know, beat or he misses it and is essentially on debut responsible for a first ever loss to, to Italy so it just, it just seems like a very strange piece of man management that, that, that instance in particular but it's part of a wider narrative of just Australia not solving their problems week on week on week yeah, I saw a stat. I can't remember exactly what the stat was, but out of all the top international teams, I think even the tier one and tier two, like Australia, have made the most changes week on week, and they've had like the least um, consistent team in terms of selection, like throughout the last couple of years. And I think that shows sometimes in their performances. We've spoken about it the whole year how they can go from one week having a really good performance to the next week just falling apart. And they made a lot of changes for this match, and I guess it didn't really um, didn't really come through for them. And even though they could have won it in the end, it would have almost felt like undeserved, perhaps. I mean, New Zealand, I mean, Italy were 100% the better team, I and mean, they yeah. missed what four or five kicks at goal and stuff like that. And toppers, you know, the thing. I mean, it was just, but it's just stupid errors. I mean, that those two off the ball yellow cards for tackling guys off the ball. I mean, like, what are you doing? And then there's another one by Darcy Swain that didn't get picked up. I'm just like. What are you doing? <laughs> it's just bizarre things. I mean, I don't know why guys like Ned Hannigan are in that team. I mean, we've been yeah, shitting on him for a long time, but I still yet to see anything that suggests he belongs at super rugby level, let alone test level um, from him. And now he's starting a flank. And he's just like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's just a very strange, frustrating situation. Yeah, and especially this close to the World Cup where it seems like they're still, you know, giving players chances to prove themselves. It's like there's there's a limit and there's this is probably not the time and place. They need to show a bit more consistency and need to know who their first choices are and build towards that. So it doesn't bode well for Australia. But um, one of the other teams that at least for one half looked really good until t- the end of the match was Scotland. And um, I think that they... They sort of exceeded expectations despite not being able to pull through and, and win against New Zealand, which would have been an amazing win for them. But yeah, I think they can still be proud of the performance. Um, Andrew, did you manage to check out any of this game? And was there anyone from this game that put their hands up especially? Uh, I saw bits and pieces. I was sort of flicking between that and the Barbarians game, which was on at the same time, which was hell of entertaining. That was really good fun. <laughs> Talk about that in a bit. Um, I guess you could probably single out Finn Russell. Um, he he was controversially omitted from the Scotland squad uh, initially, and there were the injury to uh, Hastings. He's been recalled and, and and played really well and got the praise of the coach, which must have been a bit of an awkward situation <laughs> after having to come in late. Um, he had a, a 100% kicking record in the game um, and, and played pretty well. And, you know, there was a point in that game uh, were period in that game for 50 minutes where Scotland scored 23 points to nil. Um, and when when next are they going to get 
an opportunity like that to topple the All Blacks, um, it really must feel like a wasted opportunity for the Scots. I was, I mean, I'm, I'm always partial to Scotland, you know, having lived there for a while, and the fact that I play the bagpipes uh, means I'm naturally aligned. But yeah, uh, it, it hurts a little bit not to be able to convert, even if it wasn't a, a full strength New Zealand side. Yeah, and in that 20-point period, they also uh, had a disallowed try, which was like a millimeter that Darcy Graham <laughs> stood in on the touch. And that would have been an amazing try, too. Um, yeah, Darcy Graham, I thought, for me, him and Duan Panamov, I mean, they're easy picks because it seems like those two, whether it's in URC or whether it's for Scotland lately, they have just keep um, performing. And I think, uh, actually, if I had to choose out of the two, I think Duan Panamov had the more impressive game. He was just... Even though he didn't score, I think every time he got the ball, he was able to, you know, make inroads. And New Zealand looked like they were struggling to handle him, which um, New Zealand, you know, doesn't happen that often. Um, and from your side in this game, any winners or losers? No one in particular stands out. Um, yeah, it was just, as you say, disappointing that Scotland couldn't go all the way to the end. Uh, that would have been very cool. Uh, yeah, to have seen a couple of, or we are another um, ripple broken, I suppose. Um, I didn't realize Scotland had never beaten New Zealand before this weekend. Yeah, you know, I guess if you if you could pick a, um, yeah, it would have been amazing to have Italy beat Australia for the first time and Scotland beat New Zealand for the first time in, in one weekend, but alas, uh, maybe yeah. it's worth it's worth giving a bit of a shout out to Mark Talia. Uh, he made his debut and scored a double for for the All Blacks. Um, one very good aerial take. Oh, yeah, he, he he had a dream debut. I mean, that's about as good as it comes. Um, so yeah, congrats to to Mark Talia. He's he's such a weird player for me. Like he's um, I'm relatively surprised that he's getting picked just because I think he's really good at some things, but not that good at others so like as a complete international player i think he was the player probably most guilty of not tackling duan fanamova but you know um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's tough to tackle someone that's, like that's, that that's the south african bias coming through <laughs> but i mean even if you watch him for the blues he does like especially if you he's in your fantasy team um <laughs> you know that he does so much good stuff but he also makes like so many frustrating, irritating, like, unnecessary errors. Um, but like you say, he scored two tries in debut. I don't know if you can ask for more, much more than that in a winning performance. Um, it, it is odd, though, when you've got a guy like Lester Vinger, Nuku, and George Bridge playing for the Barbarians. Um, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, there are, there are I, some established All Blacks not playing for All Blacks. I mean, I know George Bridge is overseas, obviously, but still. Yeah. Frank Nuku, I mean, he was part of the main team earlier this year so he seems to have fallen out of favor quite drastically um it's yeah I, not even in the a squad yeah i would just say from this match that new zealand is still struggling i think they're still not where they want to be like even though obviously they they seem to be good late in matches both in this game and against wales just on like making the scoreboard look more comprehensive than it was but they're still yeah they're way off the pace in terms of like their potential so i think that's probably good for everyone else with the world cup coming up um yeah, yeah. long long may that last long may they keep papering over the cracks <laughs> in the new zealand setup because it's, it's good for the rest of us when we need to beat them in the world cup <laughs> yeah i mean ian foster is still the coach but um it does seem like the 
forwards coach uh, name. Brad Moore. Um, but yeah, the forwards have stepped up quite a bit, uh, at least throughout the year. So that's their sort of area of improvement. But yeah, um, Andrew, you mentioned the Barbarians game was on at the same time, which was frustrating. But uh, some, yeah, just very exciting. I don't know if there's anything really to take out of it other than lots of, of exciting tries and um yeah, I know Zach Mercer was the yeah. man of the match, but I, I, I didn't actually watch too much of it myself. I just saw some of the highlights, so you go ahead. Zach Mercer was like a man possessed. He he was playing out of his skin. It was ridiculous. Um, he, he got over the line, I think, three times, um, twice disallowed, and, and then he scored the third one. The crowd just went wild. I mean, he's obviously English playing in England, um, making a bit of a statement, not being in the squad, um, yeah, because he's based in France. Yeah, no, sure. he signed a one-year contract to move back to England next year. I think to get into the World Cup squad. Well, yeah, that that, that performance will do him a lot of good. Um, the other the other fun the other fun thing was every time Joe Marler got the ball, the whole crowd just went wild. And he <laughs> at one point, fairly on in the game, early on in the game, he um he got the he got the ball in open play, standing in the centres for some reason. And put in this spiral punt, looking for the 50-22, <laughs> and he nearly, nearly pulled it off. It was actually a great kick, but uh, yeah, a great kiss. I mean, I love the Barbaros games; they're always good fun. It, it wasn't. I think what stood out for me in the Barbaros game is just how good the Barbaros played. You know, I mean, you've got like other Kitty Thomas and like Marchant and and like really good players, um, you know, not playing for their national teams. Yeah, there's obviously a lot of people who, who slip through the cracks or just don't make it. Um, and I know, yeah, they have one more game. Um, I, they announced their starting lineup. Uh, I can't remember. who. I think they're playing Harlequins, yeah. So that's, I think it's Thursday or Friday. Um, so that should probably be a lot of fun too. I know uh, Damian McKenzie. He's uh, joined, joined, joined the cross, which is a great shout. Yeah. I think he's starting at fly half, and then like Reno Smith is on the bench, so he also seems like okay. quite a typical barbarian sort of player, always exciting. Um, but yeah, um, I think we can just quickly touch on some of the other games. In fact, I know, and you have a, at least a loser from the um, Argentina and Wales game, even if it potentially a less conventional loser. Yeah, I just, I mean, when. And the Welsh team ran out. I was wondering who this random Zlatan Abramovich impersonator is running out of the front of the team. And eventually figured out it's Justin Tipperick. It's just, I don't know what he's done with his hair. I don't know he's going to the Stuart Hogg like. <laughs> mess it up. But it's just, it's atrocious. <laughs> like, oily and horrible. I mean, yet, yet you're advocating Mac Hansen for breakthrough player of the year. I'm not, no, I, I'm, I'm back in Kapuzzo. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd, I'd lump. I mean, look, I'd put um, Mac Hansen's hairstyles ahead of both Hogg and uh, Tipperick at this stage. So. Yeah. Fair enough. Including the monkey beard. Monkey beard Hansen is better, has a better hairstylist than Justin Tipperick. I'll put that part on the table. <laughs> Tipperick's a weird one, because like, if I picture him in my head, I can't picture him without a scrum cap. So it's like, hair is just, <laughs> yeah, him having any sort of hair just seems weird. Um, but yeah, so obviously Argentina, uh, pretty disappointing, I think, from being able to beat England in one week and then rather tamely going down to Wales the next. Um, yeah, I, I think this also, like we were saying with Australia, throughout the rugby championship, we've seen Argentina not be able to put together sort of back-to-back -to -back 
proper performances. They just sort of blow a bit more hot and cold. So I it's, think for Argentina, it's kind of understood because they're doing stuff that they've never done before. They're, they're like winning in New Zealand. Of course, they're going to go out and jaw and then <laughs> next week. They're beating England and Twickenham, their World Cup rival. Like, of course, they're not going to fire against Wales. Like, I think you kind of, especially with a Chica team, a Cheka team, you kind of just acknowledge that it's they're going to get up to the games that matter. And you know, beating Wales and Wales, no one really cares. And that's not, not one of the, like, pinnacles of rugby. Yeah, it's sort of like that just cliche of the Argentinian passion and how for the big games they'll be able to like psych themselves up. But if it's just Wales, who cares? Like you said. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one of the other games is the island and Fiji, which um, yeah, Fiji also like they this week and last they've sort of started a bit more strongly, but seem like they're just um, struggling to put together like 80 minutes of competitive rugby against the other top teams. I think, and I hope that after more sustained like build up to the World Cup, they'll be able to um, improve. But yeah, uh, I don't know. Andrew, what do you think? Would you be more optimistic in a World Cup for Fiji or do you think it will be m more of the same when they come up against the likes of Ireland, Scotland? Uh, I think it's likely to be more of the same, but I, I do think we've seen Fiji closing the gap um, somewhat. I think they're putting a gap between themselves and some of the tier two nations and they're closing the gap on some of the tier one nations. But obviously bear in mind like Ireland, South Africa, New Zealand, we, we, England even, we, we're not playing our first string side against teams like Fiji. We are going to be playing some younger players, some less experienced players, testing new combinations. So those results always have to be read with a little bit of interpretation. Um, but Fiji looked strong. I mean, they, they were leading for, for chunks of the game, um, and Irish fans would have been a bit stressed. Uh, they scored some great tries, uh, really opened up the Irish defence, um, but Ireland sort of pulled back for the predictable predictable win. I mean, I was just thinking that it's, we're all sort of lamenting the fact that Scotland lost to New Zealand, but if, uh, if that result had gone the other way, it would have been a clean sweep against the, the rugby championship uh, teams. And that would have been pretty poor for the for the southern hemisphere. Um, yeah, I think there there were only two two results that went to southern hemisphere teams. That was Tonga over Chile. I guess Chile is also southern hemisphere, so that doesn't count. Um, and then yeah, of course New Zealand over Scotland. So I guess the 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 rugby the rugby powers are shifting perhaps. I don't say that. <laughs> I hate that phrase. Was there a Uruguay-Georgia match? I think there may have been. I don't know what the result was. Um, but no. anyway. <laughs> Uruguay-Romania. Uh, Uruguay won 21-60. Okay. Here we go. So there we go. For the win. Ooh. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's fine. Uruguay's got this. The power of rugby is staying exactly where it should be. We're fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and before we get to, I think, our main area of concern, which is obviously the Springboks-France game. Um, the the other major match of the weekend was England against Japan. Um, and I was just very disappointed in Japan. Japan are generally one of my favorite teams to watch. And they they tried, to be fair. I think they even had, they had like more possession and more running meters even than England, despite the scoreline. But um, yeah, they were just, I don't know if it was just the lack of cohesion or just what was going wrong, but whatever they were trying just wasn't working and there were so many unforced errors and but it also like 
when they've been exciting in the past, they sort of play in a smart, exciting way. And it just seemed like they weren't playing in a very smart way. And it was really frustrating for wanting to see Japan do better. Um, and they, I think they've got a lot to work on before next year. Um, but yeah, so we are unfortunately coming towards the point where we talk about another Springbok loss. Um, so, but let's start with some positives. And Ant, I think let's go to you for, from the South Africa-France game, let, let, let's look at some winners. So who's your winner from that game? I think the, the first one is whoever the Springbok kicking coach is, managed to turn three non-kickers into dead-eye kickers in a week. I mean, they were slotting some incredible kicks. And, you know, what Colby got like a 55-meter kick on the angle, and then he went off, and we're like, oh, no, we got Fuff with a touchdown conversion. He nails that straight down the middle. Fuff goes off, and then Damien Villenser kicks a 55-meter penalty on the angle, and you're like, <laughs> where did we suddenly learn how to do this in a couple of days? It was incredible. Um, you know, and obviously, with Ramos kicking at 100%, you know, it kept us very much in the game. Uh, so, yeah, you know, if we had kicked like that the week, week before, we you know, would have beaten Ireland. So, at least it does seem we're learning our lessons in a way. And maybe the book coaches aren't as crazy as we all thought they were going into a second test without a recognized goal kicker. Um, so maybe a fair bit of humble pie due um, for the rest of us as Springbok fans. Yeah, it is crazy here, like um, how things can turn so quickly. And I mean, if, if, if the kicking was good in week one and not week two, then all the talking points from that game would have been, you know, the other way around and I, I don't know how much the conditions maybe had an impact too like you said Ramos also kicked super well um, but it's also just so frustrating to see like all the kicks this week even though it's a good feeling like why couldn't it just even a few of those kicks had gone over last week but um, yeah definitely doing something right. It was interesting listening to one you know, Twitter commentator and he said that it looks like Colby's entire stance was completely different this week the way that he was setting up for his kick. So you know, it sounds like there was a lot of active coaching happening mm. in the last week, which again, maybe begs the question, why was that not happening the previous week? But you know, let's, let's not get too bogged down in those kind of details. Yeah. I mean, that the style of the kick is always, it's like that sort of exciting one where it curves so much. So it makes it a bit less predictable where it sort of, and then when it curves straight through the post, it just looks great. Um, yeah. Uh, let's stick with some winners. So, and Andrew, how about you? Um, either from either side, it could be from the French side too. Do you have a winner for us? Um, I mean, yeah, I I was surprised when the World Player of the Year nominees came out. I mean, great to have Lukanya Am there, but I really think Ivan Etzebeth deserves a shout. And he was, he's just been so consistently good, and he was again. He just carries like an absolute demon. He fights for meters, whether it's whether he's tackling or he's carrying, like every meter counts for that guy, and he, he'll fight to the mail to get it. Um, he, he's so important to the box, and, and really, I don't know where we would be without him, to be honest. Um, and it's going to be interesting this coming weekend, not to skip ahead too much, but we've got a very different lock combination now with Murat and Ori, and someone's got to step up and fill those big boots, those big size 12 boots. So yeah, he was really, really good. Um, and he, he, he still he keeps he keeps on performing week in, week out, and he was one of one of the big pillars along with maybe Sia Kulisi who scored that 
incredible try. I'm convinced he was like hiding the ball under his jersey because the French had no idea where that ball was. Um, yeah, he, he scored a great try and was just generally very good in open play and very physical and dominant. But um, yeah, they were my two box standouts in any case. Yeah, I think I think the whole Springbok pack in general. I mean, coming into this game, that was the big question mark. Is it you know the the Springboks are finally going up against a pack that can physically match them, and then we obviously lost a lot of bulk in the lead up, um, swapping out Franco Mostert um, and Quaker for. Visa and Lut, and you know, you're giving up about 20 kilos just with those two subs. Um, and then obviously losing, you know, your 125 kilogram blindside beef <laughs> after 20 minutes. So the fact that our pack stood up and wasn't dominated, and if anything, dominated them a man down and a lot lighter than we normally would be. Um, I think the French are going to be very nervous about that. You know, they've never come up on a, up against a pack that can match them that way. And they, Anthony, Anthony Jelanche in the uh, post-match even said that he said, we've never faced a pack as that, that strong and scary before. And that wasn't even our strongest and scariest pack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's good news for us. And I think we can take a lot of credit out of that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, like we said last week, um, Despite the defeat, there was a lot to be happy about, and I think that's part of it. Just two weeks in a row, pack standing up against, I mean, two, probably two out of the next three um, best packs in the world. If you, I'm sure we would consider the South African pack to be at least uh, one or two. So, yeah, that's the pack in the world. I don't think yeah. there's much out there. So, so, that should give like a lot of confidence going forward. Um, yeah, for me, I think, you know, despite the loss, the in a way it's frustrating but like the this the way that the box came out to play um just showing how different in terms of like the sort of mentality and the direction that they wanted to play from last week where it was so one directional and so almost premeditated in terms of the one-off runners and not showing anything to this week almost to the other side of the spectrum and just like running everything and just passing and um, I, I, I think that shows that there is a lot of capability to mix things up in the squad. And I, again, even though I doubted myself last week in terms of high, uh, holding things back, I, this week made me think that they are again and that, you know, we are going to land somewhere in the middle and somewhere that's a bit more structured and a bit more functional and efficient. But um, over these two weeks, we've just gone from the two extremes. So like one week, not showing anything, but in the way that you just, um, you know, in a, what I would say a more boring way. And then this week, just sort of running everything. So the the more nuanced view in the middle, I think, is still to come. And that's going to be really exciting to see. How much of that do you think was just because we selected Billy? That's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you guys know I'm, I'm a, a big Billy fan, and he definitely has a positive influence on that. Um, but it, yeah, so like, I think, yeah, and uh, you mentioned Vili as a winner, and I think just that impact on the on the rest of the team in terms of having a bit of creativity um, and a bit more fluency, I think, and shape even. I think shape is probably the most important one because sometimes without him, they just look like where everyone's standing too flat or not standing in the right places. And it's like, even if they're passing wide, they're just sort of standing too like stationary when they get the ball. And Vili is able to just by injecting some pace and running at the right time, like bring other that's, people into play. 
I think it's more than that, though. I mean, if you just look at him on the field, he is talking constantly. And I don't just mean at the ref. I mean, he's talking to all the players, shouting at them, putting them in places, physically moving them around the field um, all the time. So he does a lot of work to bring that shape. You know, it's not just that he stands and can pass flatter than, than other players. He's actively structuring our team on the fly, um, which is a, you know, a huge thing. As you say, and pa- passing flat, not not passing forward. <laughs> Rusty, you know, t- t- has ample video evidence of that. Yeah, yeah I mean, so because Andrew, I think um, you've maybe said before you'd like to see a bit more of Willemster at 15. Do you think, like, going into the World Cup, um, if Pollard's back and Willemster's an option, what do you think the ideal way to move forward is? going into the World Cup, so more of a short-term view. I mean, I think Vili is a really good pick at 15 when there's a guy like Willemsa at 10. Um, he also, I mean, he does bring the same characteristics for, for Pollard. I mean, let's not sort of take that away from him. Um, but he, when there's an inexperienced 10 or a less sort of distributing 10, he really does bring a lot. But then you think back to the start of the season, um, the international season at least, and how well Willemson was doing at 15 and he was keeping Billy out of the jersey and no one was really calling, you know, for, for Billy to, to get his jersey back. There was a case that we has to win it back. Um, but, but he has done that for me over the last few games. So it's a it's a selection headache for sure. I, I think Willemson is not the answer, the long-term answer at 10. I'm surprised, I'm very surprised they've kept him at 10 against Italy. Maybe it's a case of him get, giving him another opportunity against maybe less uh, opposition in inverted commas, because I don't think we can underestimate Italy, uh, to sort of bed down in that 10, 10 role for the Springboks. But to my mind, he's the third best 10 at the Stormers, playing 10 for the Springboks just because he's sort of in the squad and in and around. Um, so I'm surprised that Marnie Lubbock has not been given uh, a debut start against uh, Italy to see what he can do. Yeah, I think it's very odd. Yeah, so it will be interesting to see how it's handled. I mean, obviously, Italy, I think, given its two losses and given Italy's strong performance last week, maybe things have changed a little, but maybe not. Um, maybe this was always the plan. Um, but yeah, obviously despite good performances, as we've mentioned, and some positive things to look on. We also have some losers. So, and let's start with you. If you're picking a loser or maybe what frustrated you the most, even. I mean, the, the, the easy one is the French suddenly just losing all communication um, between the referee and the TMO for a very, very key 30 seconds. Um, whether that try was a double movement or not is, is up for lots of debate. I've heard very aggressive points on both sides of the of the spectrum, but it's just weird that there was suddenly just no way that they could communicate. I mean, like no one had a cell phone, no one had you know, some smoke, rusty smoke signals or lights that they could shine down. Um, yeah, so that was a bit odd. Yeah, just the timing of it, the dodginess of it. I think... Um... No, I'm not saying it's conspiracy. I just find it. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, we, I think I don't think any of us watch quite as much of like the at least before the South African teams have come in the like European tournaments. But 
I think the French like directors, whatever, even in the big um, European games, have a bit of a reputation of at least lean making uh, like things lean more towards their way. So I think yeah, we can leave it at that. Um, no, sorry, there, there was also that that Valley forward pass incident, and there was not a single replay of that of that pass afterwards. I mean, why wouldn't you? It was a controversial decision or a, an important decision, even if it wasn't controversial. Like, I, I, uh, I'm sorry, I love a conspiracy, and I think <laughs> French, the French were withholding there for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a strictly rugby thing either. I think in cricket, you know, it's talked about um, whether you go play in certain places, and whoever's in control of the, you know, TV footage has an influence. So it's maybe not a conspiracy, but it's just a thing that happens, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, Andrew, if you're looking at a loser, can I nominate Damien de Allender and Quaffa Smith as losers for shunting Peter Steph de Toy headfirst into a ruck? <laughs> <laughs> you certainly Ooh, can. Yes, um, you do need to touch on this. You certainly can, and you can elaborate if you, <laughs> if you would be so kind. I mean, Peter Steph is like, he's the definition of a gentle giant. Like, he, he's such a. He's such a clean, honest, fair player. I don't think he's had a disciplinary issue once in his entire career. And there was cl- there was clearly no malice in that. I think everyone sort of sees that. I don't think anyone is is saying that it wasn't a red card offence, given, you know, what happened, head-on-head contact at force. Um, you know, what else can you do as a referee? Uh, I just hope there's some sort of mitigation in the sighting commission that that takes that down either for no ban you know he wasn't in control of his own body at the time um i don't think he was putting himself in a dangerous position either uh he, he just got really really unlucky and you could see he was broken by that decision like he, he was really emotional on the sidelines every time the cameras panned to him he like covered his face he didn't want his face on the screen um yeah i feel really really bad for him um yeah i just think, don't think there was a it was a red card offence, but I don't think anyone can hold it against him. Yeah, I mean, I think if ever there was a definition of a rugby incident slash accidental thing, this is it. I mean, you've got a guy lying on the wrong side of the rock um, who suddenly sits up at the last second right where, you know, the normal clear-out zone is. And I mean, even if Peter Steph... Well, sorry, you know, just even despite PSF being pushed and falling over, he still would have made perfectly legal contact with that rock um, and the actual defender that was there. It just happened to be that there was a dude in the wrong place who got his timing of sitting up incredibly awkwardly. You know, so there was absolutely, obviously, no malice, no intent, no poor technique, nothing that could have been done to have mitigated that situation. So, yeah, hopefully, that, as you say, there's some... Um, yeah. and not result in a ban. I mean, I agree that it should have been a red card because there was conflict to the head, but I mean, if there was ever a situation which is a freak once-off where someone could not do anything about it, that was it. I think um, you guys are very convincing, but not that I disagree, but I feel like he's not going to escape a ban. I think it will come down because of the mitigating factors, mostly because of the push, um, but I think if I'm playing devil's advocate, um, they're still going to say that he went in too aggressive. I mean, 
like we said, there is a push, so there are mitigating factors, but still too dangerously somehow. Um, so I, I can see him still getting a smaller ban than if it was, you know, just a stupid, reckless, straight to the head sort of. Um, what he mentions how many jobs this family's farm have created for underprivileged people. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> you should go represent him, man. And then, then, then he'll be that, 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 that's precedence, surely. Yeah. Uh, I think the the problem is that that the disciplinary issues are dealt with in such a stepwise procedural way. So he's going to come in at aggressive force, head on head, and he's going to come in at eight weeks, and it's going to go down for two weeks for his disciplinary record and two weeks for remorse. And and I'll be surprised if he gets more more mitigation than that for, for the push, because I don't even know where in that process that would come in. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him get like a four-week ban, for instance, which That's, I, yeah. feel, I feel so bad for the guy. Fair based on that particular set of circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah nothing nothing like that uh, that hit on Cheslin Colby by Antoine Dupont, which was much more reckless, I felt, than, than Peter Steff the toy. Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's any mitigating circumstances. But I think, as you say, now, now that I think about it, I would not be surprised with DuPont to come out with half the band that Peter Steff does. <laughs> yeah. That would just be the most typical world rugby officiating nonsense. If, if Anton DuPont comes away with two weeks and then Peter Steff comes away with like four or something. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, thought that. I, um, I can see that happening. I thought that at some po- at one point, I thought that both Peter Steff and Damien Dallander were going to be in trouble because, like, obviously Peter Steff got most of the contact. But, I mean, like, and like you say, things happen. Someone sits up slightly differently, and Damien Dallander could have easily just caused something just as bad. And I think they both went in relatively dangerously, um, pushed, yes. But yeah, it could have. I think it could have been even worse on another day for the Springboks. Maybe is that one of the risks of doing double tackles? I mean, it was the same thing last week with Colby and Peter Steff. Yeah. Um, like there's lots of people saying, oh, it could be a double yellow, and then you know they end up just one just gets it. But I mean, like, do you reckon they'll ever get to that point where there'll be a lifting tackle and just two players get carded? Um, I mean, Italy in the World Cup against South Africa. There was that double tip tackle, and they both got red cards. I think um, both the props. I thought only I thought only one did, and then the other one just got broken in half by the Springboks, like falling in at some time. It might have been a red or and yellow, but it was definitely both. Like, yeah, both getting penalised. I'll have to go and check, but yeah. So anyway, like they got it easy because they didn't have to scrum against us anymore. Yeah, exactly. They got to go down it's to just, uh, it's, it's uncontested like- scrums. Like a tactical move on their part. <laughs> yeah, 13 men is better than having to scrum against them. Um, yeah, okay, for me, if, if I'm looking at losers, I was very frustrated with some of the subs, um, and, and I think yeah. you might have mentioned it too. But even when Faf came off, I thought, you know, obviously after that, Valimso kicked really well, but I thought that that was an unnecessary um, timing to make. Bringing Obviously, we mentioned last week how... Kurbus Reinach needs a bit more time, but I wouldn't. Faf was playing. I think it's his best game of the season so far, probably, maybe. Um, and I, I thought taking him off was a big risk in terms of losing some of that momentum. And then taking Kalisi off too. Kalisi was having a really good game, and then losing 
he was the I mean Mostert was obviously gonna then play loose forward, but um, yeah, with Peter Steph already off and then bringing on not like not bringing on a loose forward to replace him, I thought I thought they just lost so much and that was super frustrating. So I don't know. You bring if, on Ori, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like you bring on Etzebeth. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like you don't get that sort of impact or any real substantial impact in terms of, um, you know, something that the Springboks are going to positively, <laughs> yeah, without trying to be too much of a dick to Ari, like he just doesn't, um, he's not going to bring that sort of impact that you're looking for off the bench in terms of uh, when you need something, he's not going to bring it. So I was frustrated with those subs. I mean, obviously the rest of the subs were more typical in terms of the usual bomb squad or the front row swapping after like 50 minutes, but I think they could have been handled a bit better and um, yeah, not necessarily made a, a difference to the end score necessarily, but just definitely at the time frustrated me um, and even looking back. So yeah. Yeah. It feels like um, it feels very premeditated that move uh, to, to bring them on. And then that, that would have in a normal, in a normal situation, you would have had Quacha, Dion Ferry and Franco Mostert, um, and Franco, we've been playing that blindside role with the double fetcher effect, which worked well for us a couple of weeks ago. But um, then Dion Ferry went and collapsed the mall and earned himself a yellow card um, and screwed up my fantasy weekend. So <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks, Dion, for that. Uh, it wasn't necessarily like a terrible offense on his part, but it did sort of characterize the impact of the subs. They, they were really below par in this game. I mean, on top of that, it was also weird that we got a yellow card with no warning and they collapsed three more in a row yep. with warnings and didn't get anything. Yeah. Just yeah. mention that. But yeah. Yeah, look, I don't think it's a week for ref complaining. Um, and I think we, we, just like last week, put ourselves in positions to win the game, whether or not the ref got everything right or not. And I think that's you know, that got to be the standard. Um, it is frustrating when it, there are yeah. games are small margins and you can pick up stuff. That arguably sure shouldn't have gone your way, but you we know, you know we, we're sitting after two weeks, and I mean, it's it's cuck to have two defeats out of two, but at the same time, I don't think any of us are that stressed by the results. Like, we lost to the number one side in the world because we didn't kick our kicks, and we lost to the number two side uh, with 14 men on the park for 60 minutes of the game. So, you know, and, and in both games, we did enough to win... We dominated both of them. We sent off like six forwards across the two matches on injuries. Um, not, not, yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been a completely dominant performance. Just they haven't closed out a game and they haven't won. That's the only difference. And I, and I think we I and mean, something we should also just highlight is we were 13 nil down against France. We pulled ourselves back from 13 nil down, just like we did the groom against All Blacks against Park. Yeah. You know, we 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 show and we really do have that ability to chase down. The score when we're behind, and that's you know something very cool to have uh, picked up um, if you've got that kind of skill set. Yeah, I I agree. I think there's so much positive to take, and against these teams, like we mentioned at the start, in terms of their physicality and doing enough. But um, ultimately, and it's usually the case with the Springboks, is like the, the margins are going to be so fine. Like even against Wales in the World Cup, where you'd think, well, Wales weren't that good of a team. It was, it went all the way down to the wire. And when when games are that close, you know, then whether it's a refereeing decision or whether it's a bounce of a ball, you know, things can 
change so fast and you don't you have less control of things um like even with that Dion Fury yellow card I think for me it looked cynical enough that you can understand it's understandable but still harsh so it's one of those things where you don't want to be in that position to let the ref be able to um make that decision um yeah so I think before we uh move on given that this you know was for us as Springbok fans, the main game of the weekend, is there anything else you guys might want to mention from the game? Um, Ant, let's start with you. Uh, not from this game, I don't think. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, we still have this again, but yeah. yeah. Andrew, before we move on to that. Um, I just loved seeing how well the French loose forward and placement played on the wing. Makalu. Hello. He, he he looked like a he looked like a convincing wing, and he had some great runs. He really troubled uh, the defense. He he really played well out of position. So I thought maybe just a shout out for him. If it was a fantasy match, he would have been like absolute gold playing flank on the wing. Yeah, what really impressed me, I think, were his chases off the kickoffs. Like because yeah. you wouldn't think, okay, he doesn't have enough pace if he's a loose forward, but. Even if he didn't like compete, he was so close every time that he'd like put someone under pressure. And, yeah, <laughs> it seems like such a weapon. I'm I'm sure they've used it in the past in one way or another. But um, yeah, that he was quite a scary. He's a proper athlete, is is, is um, I mean, obviously given his performance. Um, but yeah, I think if if we're going to rave about him, we do need to to comment on. I think it was Jalanch's attempt to tackle on Colby. <laughs> Yeah, the being the operative word. Yeah. Which was, you know, embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Um, yeah, we, I, I think maybe it got lost in my list of things that happened, but obviously on Thursday night, um, we saw some of the younger and not so younger in cases like Cornel Hendricks, um, but some <laughs> of the some of the depth of the Springboks was shown in a game against Munster, which unfortunately um, ended up in a loss. Um, and I believe, Ant, let's go to you uh, for a lose for some losers first um, from that game. I think generally, given the scoreline, but also the uninspiring performance, there is there's not too much in terms of winners for the South African A team. Um, I don't know about that. I think there were some individual performances. Like, I think we've got to, we've got to put this in context that this is very much a barbarian-style team. You know, these guys got together for, like, two or three training sessions um, and then had to try and learn the very complex African defensive system in the process. And I think that that's one comment one can make is that it just shows the, the learning required to go from, you know, super rugby slash USC start to Springbok level. You know, guys like Henke van Veek, made some really bad defensive mistakes um, in a very complex system. So, I mean, not, not holding anything against him as a player, but just acknowledging that you, know, you can't just get airdropped straight into the spring box and expect to perform. Um, I think the two guys that really let themselves down uh, are Herschel Yankees and Johan Kirsten. I think we've definitely spoken about it, and I think it's fairly well acknowledged that Herschel Yankees has been on a slippery slope um, of form pretty much since the World Cup. Um, yeah, he's just regressing kind of every performance. And, you know, when you've got someone like Grant Williams who comes to the bench and just makes the most immediate and obvious impact, um, 
and you know, even guys locally like Nahamba um, playing well, and, and generally just we've got a, a plethora of scrum at the moment. I don't see Herschel getting getting another look in at the swing box after this tour. Um, obviously, he hasn't been named in the team for Bristol this week. And then Kursen, you know, as well, been you know, his, his woes over the last couple of years in terms of just the amount of rugby he's played between injuries and sicknesses and whatever. But you know, he also just didn't look like he was controlling the game. He should have. He wasn't injecting himself the way that he maybe does for Bulls. He's standing very deep and just kind of doubling and passing all along. So it wasn't a pick-me performance from from Kursen. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it was surprising at first when that box squad got announced that Kursen was put in the SAA squad and Libok was elevated to the Springbok squad and, and Ngombazulu to begin with. Of course, he's starting... Um, this coming weekend or this coming midweek game, um, but it it just shows that the the box coaches know what they're talking about and know what they're doing. Um, Wilson was involved in all those alignment camps and everything, even though he was injured. But um, when push came to shove and he was called to perform, uh, he failed pretty miserably. So yeah, it's it's a bit worrying from a box perspective, given you know we're looking for fly half depth for the Springboks. Um, and Johan Kursen didn't give us any any confidence from that performance that he's he's going to be the answer for the box in the in the absence of Pollard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean they're playing against Bristol again this midweek, so let's hope for some improvement. Um, yeah, um, I think before we end off, let's quickly look forward to this coming weekend. We've got a whole host of matches, and just ask for some quick thoughts and predictions, uh, starting with. Springboks up against Italy in the early uh, match. Before we, before we get, I just want to say some winners from the SAA game because I think there were some okay. really right. good performances. I think both the locks, Runakia and Jason Jenkins, had really strong games. Um, and they're showing that the, the book of lock factory is still churning them out and they can do a job. And then I think um, the Dupree twins also really stood stood up. They did, I mean, they did what they do on the tin which is very dominant and difficult to bring down carries um, and, you know, offloads in contact. Uh, but they were just shifting bodies all over the park. And, you know, particularly when you have both of them on the field, um, it's just so hard for opposition to contain because it's like it takes three guys to bring one down. He offloads his brother and it takes another three to bring him down and suddenly half your defensive line is, is missing. Um, so, yeah, they just proved to be very, very effective, particularly in those kind of wet and horrible conditions. Um, yeah, I think those, those guys, and Thomas Detoy is just Thomas Detoying. I mean, he just, shame, he's such an unlucky player because he is so good. But he's competing against, you know, such good players. It's just he doesn't get enough game time at Springbok level than he maybe deserves. But he had another really strong, consistent game. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, so not all so bad. And in terms of that forward depth, not depth, not looking uh, too shabby at all. Um, okay, so let's... Uh, Look forward then to Italy and South Africa, which is the earlier game on Saturday this weekend. Given Italy had a very strong outing against Australia and South Africa really are desperate for a win, how confident are we feeling? Um, Andrew? Yeah, I've been talking up Italy the last two weeks. Um, I think they've, they've played really good rugby. Um, I picked France to win against Springboks, but uh, so I was being a bit pessimistic. But I, I do think South Africa will have enough to beat Italy. And my, my main reason for that is not rugby related. It's because I saw how hard the Italians were partying after they beat Australia. 
inside info. <laughs> and are you in agreement? Even yeah, if you I put mean, the partying aside? Even with a depleted second row, I don't see the Italians having nearly enough firepower to deal with our forwards. So like it might not be a 40, 50 point win that we would you know, maybe expect or hope in, in different Springbok areas, but I mean, I, I don't see the Italians. You know, I think they can. They might make us work, and they may, might make us sweat at, the, at one a stage or two. But you know, I don't think they're going to consistently be able to match us for eighty minutes to yeah. to, to win the game. Um, and it's, it's one of the fortunate things about being a Springbok team is that sometimes you just know your team will grind the other team into into pulp after after with enough time. And you know, and that happens to the best teams. Like, and Italy, with all due respect, are not one of the best teams. Yeah, and especially with that bench of Mark Skitshaw. It's a bit quacker. Evan Rust, yeah. who should be exciting. But those guys coming off the bench is just like, oof. If you're getting beaten down by the in the first 50 minutes by the starters, and then those guys come on, that's not fun for anyone. Um, yeah, exactly. yeah, so it very well might be close-ish at like 40, 50 minutes, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm in agreement. I think we're we're bound to see the first win of the end of year tour for the Springboks. Um, this is not Alistair Katia after all. Um, so moving on, let's. There's, I think it's probably the well, the next two are both big ones from this tour. So England, New Zealand. Um, England have looked relatively impressive from a bad start. Obviously, with a weaker opposition from last week. New Zealand uh, have been building slowly, not so surely. What do you guys think? I think um, odds-wise, this one is probably as close as we can get. I mean, it feels like a game Eddie Jones will target and really try and put a mark on and win. Um, but Eddie, the English have just not actually been that good this year. So, like, are they going to have enough? Uh, yes. I mean, this is basically the question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, New Zealand haven't been that good either. So, so who, so who yeah, takes it? Put your, put your, put your Something on Eddie Jones is a is a better coach than Ian Foster. Uh, <laughs> he would have targeted this game more than Ian Foster would have. Because I think Ian Foster is focusing on process and Eddie Jones will target particular games for motivation or whatever. And I think that will be the difference between the two. That Eddie Jones is treating this game as a must-win for World Cup prep and uh, Ian Foster is treating it as a, another game just to get combinations going. I'd, I'd like to see team sheets, to be honest. Like, it, it feels like with New Zealand, they're a bit unpredictable at the moment in terms of who they're going to put out. Um, so it's difficult to say with any certainty, especially in such a close match. Um, I'm going to be uh, alternative just for the sake of it and say that New Zealand are going to prevail in another unconvincing win. Yeah, I mean, there's no Sam Kane, so we know that as much. Um, no, that, that's in their favour. <laughs> yeah, they get to play Dalton Bopoli instead. Yeah, yeah and Bopoli was really good so, in this last match, yeah. So, um, yeah, you guys have tied it. I think that I am going to say New Zealand to win also. I feel like it will be very close, but um, I think New Zealand have, in the last quarter have just been showing a lot um, against their, their opposition, and I think we're going to see the same this weekend. Okay, moving on. The next big one um, is Ireland-Australia. So this one again, yeah, 
It's uh, it's not there's a big one. Various feels tier one versus tier two. <laughs> I mean, maybe it, maybe I'm giving Australia too much credit. I was gonna say it's also a hard one to call. Maybe it's not. And are you saying Ireland are gonna win this every day of the week? I mean, yeah, they should. But I suppose the problem is is that Australia was have been famously up and down this year <laughs> and backed up horrible performances with really good ones. So I don't know. Yeah, look, Australia should have beaten France, right? So, and then they next week lose to Italy. Um, there were some questionable selections in that Italy game, so maybe maybe a full strength Oz side is 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 a bit better than what we're giving them credit for. But if, if Ireland field a full strength side against an Aussie full strength side, I think it's Ireland pretty much every day of the week. I mean, it's it's what number one in the world versus number nine. Like, come on. Yeah. Australia number nine. What? They they eight or nine, yeah. Um, I I can't help but think it's going to be close and Ireland will probably win but I think it will be fun to see Mac Hansen playing against Australia Um, I mean if he had stayed in Australia he might have got a cap but I feel like he wouldn't be first choice Um, so Jack Dempsey is playing against Australia you've got Mac Hansen playing against Australia was there a Frenchman I mean an Aussie playing for France or Italy just that would have been really fun to round up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Unfortunately, no one that I can think of, but uh, yeah. Because uh, we played against the, the Flyer, we didn't play against Paul Willem, so. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's there, there are a couple of um, South African-born uh, Italians, but I don't know if they're playing this weekend. Uh, I don't think so. Guys like Bramstein have dropped out of contention, I think. Um, those sort of guys... Um, but yeah, the final match is France-Japan, so France would be favourites, but again, without team sheets, they might rotate a lot against what would be perceived as a weaker opposition, um, and they're also quite volatile, famously, in terms of week-in, week-out performances. Any chance of Japan pulling something out of the bag? Who are they playing, did you say, sorry? France playing Japan. Uh, no. <laughs> no. I mean, Sunday look, France, France are missing a whole lot of players after the Bok game. I mean, they're going to rotate anyway, but they, they are going to be missing a few injured players in concussion protocols and the rest. And Dante's broken his cheekbone, so he's out for a while. Uh, I don't see Japan beating France, but I think it could be close. Kind of like, um, what were we saying, uh, South Africa, Italy. Like, it might be close come 40, 45 minutes. And then I don't think they'll have enough to close out the game. Yeah, Maybe. I, it might just be a whitewash. <laughs> yeah. uh, with France, it could be either. Yeah, I think um, so. Argentina are not playing this weekend, but and Wales have a game against Georgia. So some other games, but those are the main ones. And obviously, SA uh, against Bristol. Sorry, Paul, well, isn't there a Argentina Scotland game on Saturday? Oh yes. So there is. I somehow missed that one. Scotland, Argentina. That's quite a good one then, yeah. I mean, that's more competitive probably than the last couple we mentioned. So quick predictions before we finish off. And let's go with you. Scotland, Argentina. Argentina. Andrew? Yeah, I think the Argies will bounce back as much as I'd love Scotland to win. Wow. I'm going to say Scotland, but uh, we'll see how that goes and we'll see next week. Um, But yeah. I think that's going to do it for us this week. Um, any final thoughts quickly, Ant? 
no, that's, um, yeah, I just hope we finally get off the get off the, the, the score sheet and get a win this week. Andrew? Same thoughts. Uh, we'd love to see a Springbok win overseas because it's been a couple of weeks and it, I'm getting tired of saying, yeah, we lost, but. So I'm hoping we can, we can change the tune next week. Yeah, even an SAA result would be nice. But uh, yeah, against Italy, I think a loss here would be disastrous, to be honest. So we're all expecting a win and it sort of has to happen. Um, and we shall see. Hopefully this time next week we'll be talking positively about the result and um, we hope to see you there. Cool. Cheers.